0: Good morning. How are you guys doing? Cold? I'm freezing, but that's fine. Well, we're going to be in Luke 15 today, so if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can get there. Um, If you're using one of our Bibles, it's on page 1625, Luke 15. And before I start reading, I'm just going to recap why we're doing this um, sermon series. I've done it too. It kind of sounds a little weird, but... Um, I really like it because anytime I read the Bible, I think about how I relate to the characters or how I relate to the story, and it's kind of fun when you're, like, putting yourself in those people's shoes, and at first, you're like, oh, this is great, like, I relate to David or I relate to Jesus or something like that, and sometimes we forget that we relate to just about every character, including the ones who mess up, or... As you're reading, you're like, oh, shame on them. They shouldn't have done that. I know better. And then you're like, no, that was me. So I'm going to explain one of those stories today um, of how I've done it too. I don't know if you're coming into this worship time together um, thinking about last year and thinking, wow, I'm so glad 2018's over. Thank you, 2019, for being here. Or maybe you're like, that was good, but I'm also looking forward to a new year. You might have set goals for yourself last year that you're like, uh, I didn't do any of them. It lasted, my New Year's resolutions in 2018 maybe lasted a couple days and then you're like, yeah, I'll just save it for 2019. I'm in that category. Um, So I don't know what you're thinking coming into this sermon series or this message today um, but there are two things that I want you to know before I even get to my message at all. These are two things that I want you to be thinking about because they're the truths that we're going to hold on to from now until eternity. So the first one is God redeems our past and uses it to spread the good news of his kingdom on earth. And I don't know how you feel about your past. I don't know if you know that God can redeem it, but he's already redeeming it. He's already using it for his glory, and it's exciting, and we want you to get to a point where you are thinking and constantly... um, Excited that God is redeeming your past no matter if you understand it or not or if you can see it or not God's redeeming it and using it for his kingdom the second thing I want you to think about um, that is a truth and something that we should be thinking about is as we look at our past so this whole idea of I've done it too it's really easy to shame ourselves or to shame the people in our story like oh, I should have known better they should have known better they couldn't have, shouldn't have done that I shouldn't have done that It's going to be super easy to do that, and I can be the first one to tell you that, but I think the question we need to keep asking ourselves is how will God use this in his good news story? There are going to be things in life, and all of you, I'm sure, have experienced it where you're like, there's no way that God can use this for something good. It's just too bad. It's just too awkward. It's too embarrassing. I don't want to think about it anymore, but God's going to use it somehow. And so we have to just keep trusting that even though when we don't understand it, he is using it. So we just keep asking, God, how are you going to use this? Does not make sense? Please use it somehow. So that's what I want you to think about as we start reading and as I continue to um, talk. So let's jump to Luke 15. So this is the story of the lost sheep. Tax collectors and notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them. So Jesus used this illustration. If you had 100 sheep and one of them strayed away and got lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 others to go and search for the lost one until you found it? And then would you joyfully carry it home on your shoulders? And when you arrived, you would call together your friends and neighbors and have them rejoice with you? that your lost sheep was found in the same way heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away story of the lost coin or suppose a woman has 10 valuable silver coins and loses one won't she light a lamp and look in every corner of the house and sweep under every nook and cranny until she finds it And when she finds it, she will call to her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her because she has found her lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And this is the story we're going to focus on, the story of the lost son. To illustrate the point even further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and took a trip to a distant land, where he wasted all of his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired men have enough food to spare, and I, I'm here, dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as a hired man. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, the father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He said to his son, or he said, his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill that calf we've been fattening in the pen. For this son of mine was dead and has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So let the party begin. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father's killed the calf we were fattening, and has prepared a great feast. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. The father came out and begged him, "'But he replied, "'All these years, I've worked hard for you "'and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. "'And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat "'for a feast with my friends. "'Yet when this son of yours comes back "'after squandering your money on prostitutes, "'you celebrate by killing the finest calf we have.' "'His father said, "'Look, dear son, you and I are very close, "'and everything I have is yours.' We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is now found. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. So, confession time. I have FOMO, which means fear of missing out. Like, I didn't skip college classes. I didn't skip chapels. I didn't skip family reunions or anything like that, meetings at work because I like knowing what's going on. It's not even like uh, I have to know. It's just like I crave it. I want to know. I want to know how I can help. I want to know how I can jump in and be a part of things. And I also had SR disease or self-righteous disease. My symptoms were pride, comparing myself to others, and trying to control everything. It manifests itself in Raised eyebrows, crossed arms, cocked hip, flat lips, shake of the head, rolled rolled, uh, uh, eyes, and a turn back. Okay, this made-up disease but very real attitude shows up when I don't agree with what's going on around me, when other people think they're better than others, or they use sarcasm or joking to put others down, or when I think I'm right and the rest of the world is wrong. I can imagine that this is how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were acting at the beginning of Luke 15 when Jesus is teaching. They probably all looked like this. And then I can also imagine that the notorious sinners and the tax collectors... We're all like this, right? Honestly, this prodigal son story to me growing up, like I've been a Christian for a long time, this story like angered me because I related to the older brother. So I was always like faithful to go to church. I didn't like waste my parents' money when they gave me money. Thanks, mom and dad. Okay, I related to the older brother and it confused the daylights out of me when I read this story because... Like, I was glad that the younger son came home. I knew that Jesus wanted me to be glad that the younger son came home. Jesus was glad that the younger son came home. But he was forgiven so quickly. And the faithful brother that I related to was the one that got scolded, it seemed. And so it just made no sense to me. This story didn't click with me until about maybe a year and a half ago. Seth and I had just moved to Peoria. We'd been here for a little bit. We had some friends come over, and one of our friends, Seth was giving his famous Peoria tour, and one of our friends was like, what do you like so much about Peoria? Like, you guys are going on and on about it, how you like it, you know, it's great. What, what's the best part of it? And I remember Seth saying that he liked Peoria so much because People can thrive here. So like if you're rich, if you're poor, if you have a lot, if you have a little, if you're responsible, if you're not responsible, like there are still opportunities for you, and you can make a way for yourself, or at least people will help you make a way for yourself. And I thought to myself, hmm, people can thrive in Peoria. And I asked, I thought about this prodigal son story, and I asked myself, am I someone who helps others thrive? Or only the people I think are worthy to thrive. So when we got home from being with our friends, I quickly reread this story because it seriously bugs me anytime I read it, or it it did bug me because it didn't make sense. Like, yes, Jesus is glad people are coming back to him, but why is this older brother, the faithful one, having such a hard time with this, and why is he, what I thought, getting chewed out by the, the father? I think when I reread it, and I'll get to the verse that stood out to me the most, but I think what stood out was I related to the older brother, but not in the way that I thought I did. I used to get angry that God would forgive everyone so quickly. Like when it talks about Jesus came for all, he didn't come to judge, he came to love. Like that almost irritated me because like I worked for it. Like, I don't know if you know, but I did Bible quizzing when I was little. So I studied scripture on purpose and then was quizzed on it. I worked for it. I worked for my relationship with God. And then for this younger punk brother to be forgiven so quickly after he wastes everything, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, that really upsets me. So it was frustrating, and I was confused by it. And it's super embarrassing to talk about because it's like, you grew up in the church, tie. You should be excited that, of course, he's given a second chance. I didn't like that story. I would rather that he got, like, grounded for a week and then, like, work his way back. Oh, I've done that. That's what I thought Jesus was like. That's what I thought God was like, that I had to work my way back to him, that when I messed up, I should feel guilt and shame and all this crud in order to, like, be humbled so that I could get back to Jesus. And I missed the whole point of this story. I missed the whole point about who God is and why Jesus was telling these three stories. I mean, I figured that God would forgive me. Like, I rolled my eyes when my parents would say things to me sometimes, but God would forgive me because, like, I did Bible quizzing, right? I memorized scripture. But how could he forgive these murderers and sinners and people that chose to do wrong, right? It just confused me. I wanted to stay away from those people. I wanted to be isolated from them. They should know better, and here I am, doing the right thing, carrying my Bible to school. It just, it just didn't make sense. So, the verse that stood out to me, though, and I'm going to reread it, was Luke 15, 31. And maybe when I reread it and Seth had talked about people thriving in Peoria and I maybe it was the Holy Spirit asking, like, are you the kind of person that helps people thrive, or are you somebody that, that just, no, they're not worthy of it. They need to show me that they're worthy, and then I will help them kind of thing. So Luke fifteen thirty one, the father said, son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we have to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is now found. And then it clicked. I had chosen a life of righteousness, and that was okay. It kept a lot of heartache and pain away. When I turned from my sin and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, everything that he had became available to me. And that's great, and I want that for other people. I didn't deserve it, but he accepted me anyway. All my church hours, my memorized scripture my Christian family, none of that translated to a bigger reward in God's kingdom. I couldn't work my way to God. He came to me, just like he went to both of his sons in the story, and that's the reckless love of God. In the story, it talks about how he runs to his lost son. He doesn't even listen to the kid's apology. He's already ordering the best Taco Bell menu item. He's already having his family put his Facebook page, his family name back on his Facebook page. He's already freaking out. And I'm sure that the son had assumed that the dad had acquired this SR disease I was talking about, and that would, like, No, you must work your way back to me. The son was prepared for it. He's like, he already knew his shame. He's already like, Father, I'm sorry. Like, please forgive me. I'll be your servant. Like, I'm sorry. He already knew what he did. He didn't need to be shamed into it. And so he assumed that his father would treat him a certain way. But he was shocked when the father gave him everything back and hugged him, embraced him, and kissed him. And he's like, Who cares? Let's throw a party. You're back. Like he didn't care about the apology. And I don't think God really cares about the apology. He wants us to, you know, um, admit that we've messed up because he wants us to know that we need him. But I don't think God cares about the apology as much as our posture. We came back, and that's why he's excited. The dad's kindness brought about his son's repentance. And also notice how the dad goes goes to his older son, the one that had isolated himself from the party, the one that was like me, like <laughs> I'm not going into that party until you make him like make my bed for me or something like that. Like he owes me kind of thing. The dad doesn't yell at his older son, quit pouting or suck it up. He's just a kid. He's my son. I got to help him. He reminds his son how close they are. And if you think about it, the, son, the older son and the dad Even when the younger son was uh, away, you know, squandering the wealth, whatever, the older son and the dad were working every day to build up their family property and wealth. So the older son probably knew everything about what the dad had, um, how much wealth their family, you know, was worth and how much they had. So the son knew everything about what the dad was doing. He knew what the dad's business was about. So... When the dad says, everything that I have is yours, he means it. The son is next to take over, okay? So for me, in thinking about this dad going to his older son who seems to be pouting, and I tended to do that a lot when I would think about, God, how could you forgive them so fast? Well, that doesn't, just make, that doesn't make sense, so I'm just going to stand over here. The son isolated himself. The dad still goes to him, The dad also reminded the older son of his younger son's situation. So once the younger son took his inheritance, it was basically like saying, Dad, you're better off dead to me than alive. Can I have your money? And so the family probably looked at it like their younger son was dead. So when Jesus is saying about the father saying, my son was dead and is alive again, once the son came back, he was alive because he had chosen to move on from the family And he was kind of dead to them. That sounds really, like, upsetting, but it's true. And so now he is back, and the dad's like, we've got to celebrate. He doesn't shame his older son. That's how I, Ty, chose to interpret this story growing up. I thought the dad was there to be like, suck it up, kid. Like, this is how I'm doing stuff. He wasn't shaming his son. He understood how he felt, but he's also trying to explain that celebration must happen because things are now as they should have been all along. This is how God wanted the story to go, to have both of his sons there. One is younger, one is older, one seems more responsible, one's a little more wild and like a little crazy, and that's okay. God wanted both of his sons to be in that situation. And so we've got a party because the son is back where he's supposed to be. And I think I thought of this prodigal son story when Seth was talking about Peoria, because um, it's really easy to see prodigal sons wandering around Peoria. Not just wandering, but they're doing life. They've got jobs. Some of them don't. Some of them are homeless. Some of them are rich. But they're wandering around. And and maybe that they're prodigal sons because they either had some generational dysfunction or because they've chosen to make some choices where they've just fallen on hard times. But the father chooses to celebrate any time one of these friends chooses him. And and we celebrate as a church and as a community when somebody makes a choice to follow God for the first time, we're like, yeah, let's throw a party, this is great. Let's do a baptism, all that stuff. And that's great. But God also chooses to celebrate when one of these prodigal friends chooses to love their family or chooses to love their neighbor or chooses to love their city. They don't have to know God in order to love the people around them, which is what Jesus asked us to do, to love God and love each other. It's also easy in Peoria to see older brothers walking around too. Some of them are rich, some are poor, some go to great schools, some go to not-so-great schools, some help out a lot. Some stay at their house a lot. It doesn't matter. You see them everywhere. And I'm going to say we because I related most to the older brother in the story. We do church well. We look shiny on the outside. Our Christmas cards for, with our families look great. But sometimes we tend to have SR disease on the inside. Our families seem perfect. The Christmas cards seem perfect but we can sometimes tend to be the most prideful, controlling, and critical people out there. The Pharisees, the church people, this is the whole reason Jesus is telling the story, because they don't get it. They were acting like me. Jesus, seriously, you should not be hanging out. She's a prostitute. Like, do you even know who you're hanging out with, Jesus? Like, stop hanging out with these people. It took Jesus three stories. He tried telling them three times. I want to hang out with these people. This is why I'm here. These guys need me. They need the good news. We should celebrate that they're here. You're making them feel bad, but they're here. And it's so cool that, that Jesus is focusing on loving these people while trying to tell the church people, the people with SR disease, that there's hope for both sides. His whole design, his whole reason for creating us was for all of us to be with the Father. And we get there in a couple different ways. Like sometimes it takes a lot of loving and a lot of compassion and a lot of patience. And sometimes we grow up knowing that the Father loves us and we know what we should do. And both ways are fine. But it takes three stories for Jesus to explain to the church people the error in their thinking. It's not a competition of who's forgiven. And it's not a competition of who's loved more. It doesn't matter. They're both loved. Jesus was trying to show the church people that, yes, God loves them. But God's more interested in them celebrating with the least, the last, and the lost than just judging them or isolating themselves. I have a funny story of this happening at my school. I teach third grade. And a month or so ago, uh, there was an incident... Uh, in my class where there was a boy, we'll call him little brother. So little bro gets in trouble a lot. So much so that there's this program where every hour he checks in with this little sheet of paper, he takes it to the teacher, and the teacher and him go over, okay, how, how was our hour? And he'll be like, good. And so he'll get a smiley face. Or if it was like not so good, it's like a middle face. Throwing a chair might be a frown face. So on this particular day, little bro had had an abnormally great day, like smileys across the board except for one hour where he did get upset and throw a chair. But overall, it was a great day. So at the end of the day, he came up to me, and he's like, Miss Major, like, here's my paper. I beat my percentage because there's a certain goal they're trying to get 90%. I beat it, I beat it. And so I'm filling in his last hour, and I'm like, dude, I'm so proud of you, like, what a great day you had, you made good choices, oh, except for this part here, you know that in third grade, we don't throw chairs, you know that that's not safe, you know that you could hurt others, we should have made a different choice, right, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I know, and I was like, we really could have done better, don't you think, and he's like, yeah, so I I finished signing it, he takes it back to his table, he's kind of like, you know, upset, he's sets it down, and next to his friend, we'll call him Big Bro. And as soon as Big Bro looks at it, he stands up so fast his chair falls over, so I'm already like, what's going on? And he picks up Little Bro. This is not a made-up story. Like, it will forever be etched in my mind. He picks up Little Bro and half drags, half carries him around, and he's like, I'm so proud of you, Little Bro. Like, I'm telling you, third graders are celebrating with each other. And I'm over here at my desk like... He should have known better. You don't throw chairs in class like, hello, we're at school to learn. And over here, I see two third-grade boys celebrating. I'm going to cry. This is crazy. Celebrating the little things that happened in the day when he was doing the right thing. And for me, my choice in that moment was to say, you should have known better. You know we don't act that way and I chose to isolate myself, and I missed out on a celebration. And remember, I have FOMO. I have fear of missing out. But I still chose to isolate myself and teach him a lesson. You should have known better. I can't, I can't, you need to get better at your behavior. I can't even. And over here, his friend, who also doesn't make good choices during the day most of the time, chose to celebrate, literally tried picking him up off the floor, swinging him around in circles, Smiling, I mean, I, the looks on their faces, it was like he had just won a million dollars. And then you could see it, it light up his whole body, that somebody was celebrating him, that somebody believed in him. I'm going to read a, a, a quick paragraph from this book, Everybody Always, by Bob Goff. <clears throat> Loving people doesn't mean we need to control their conduct. Loving people means caring without an agenda. As soon as we have an agenda, it's not love anymore. It's acting like you care to get somebody to do what you want or what you think God wants them to do. Do less of that, and people will see a lot less of you and and more of Jesus. In this scenario, Big Bro made the best choice, celebrating his brother. He didn't have to change his brother. He just needed to love him. And in the Bible, the big brother had two choices. He could include himself in the celebration with perspective, gratefulness, and kindness, or he could isolate himself in judgment, bitterness, and jealousy. And I think Jesus did it on purpose, but he left the story open-ended. So the convert the, the story in the Bible ended with the dad talking to the brother. My son was dead and is now alive. He was lost and now he's found. And then the story's over. And I think Jesus did that on purpose for the church people to decide, how are you going to respond? Are you going to celebrate with these people? Are you going to get close to me? Are you going to get close to these people that you don't understand, that you don't get along with? Or are you going to isolate yourself and set yourself apart in not, not the best way? I want to be known as a person who celebrates others, no matter how small or how big the situation. Like I said, Jesus told three stories to hit home the same point. I mean, he told a story about a sheep getting lost and found, like leaving 99 sheep, 99 of your prized possessions to find one, and then finding a coin, like looking for a coin, and then throwing a party. Can you imagine what your friends would say if you're like, come over to my house, I found a quarter, I was missing, My Aldi quarter. They would probably be a little confused. But Jesus is like, this is a big deal, and you need to understand it. So I'm going to tell you in another story, okay? I know that there are situations in life when it's extremely hard to love people that have chosen to do something selfish. And I think we all have a million examples that pop into our mind where we're like, it took years to forgive that person, or it took years to get over that situation. I also know that there are situations we find ourselves in when we're confused and upset because somebody chose to do something and we think they could have done it better. They could have made a better choice. I used to be the older brother choosing self-righteousness over love, and Seth talked about that two weeks ago. (sighs) Super vulnerable moment here. In high school, I would intentionally act with disapproval to kids in class that would act inappropriately, because I wanted, them, I wanted them to feel uncomfortable based on my reaction. So when they would do something, I would, I would sit there or I would look at them or I would turn away, shake my head. I wanted them to see me shake my head. I wanted them to see and I wanted them to feel that I did not approve of them or their behavior. I think that's probably why I was called a couple names. Makes sense. I would have called myself a couple names, too. I think I would have made a bigger impact on the lives around me if I would have been quicker to understand the why behind their behavior than just to judge them. Because I was seeing the outside, and I was thinking, shame on you, you're in high school, get it together. And I wasn't even trying to understand why they were acting out or why they were saying what they were saying. For someone who has a fear of missing out, I can't believe that I let myself miss out on so many celebrations with people in my life. So many cel- miss celebrations. And like I said earlier, it's going to be super easy to shame and super easy to judge myself and guilt trip myself. Because I know better. I grew up in the church. I had Christian parents, Christian aunts and uncles and cousins. I had Christian f- friends. I went to a Christian university. I married a Christian. And I still deal with this sometimes where I have to keep my self-righteousness in check because that's not what Jesus is trying to get me to do when I interact with the people around me. So instead of shaming myself, this is what I'm choosing to do. I'm choosing to look at my past, which is super uncomfortable. I don't recommend it, but you should because I'm a pastor telling you that. Look at your past, but don't. Look at your past. so uncomfortable. Give it to God, which is hard. It's hard to let go of that, because you're like, I'd rather just, like, make myself feel bad for a while, throw a little pity party. I like those kind of parties sometimes, but I'm not. Look at my past. Give it to God, and let him redeem it, and not redeem it the way I want him to. Yes, I'm a control freak sometimes. God, you could totally do this, and it would make me look good in the end, and he's like, no, let me do it. Look at your past, give it to God, and let him redeem it. I was never perfect, and I never will be perfect. And sometimes, like I said, I have to keep my self-righteousness in check. So this year, I've already told my third graders my New Year's resolution. It's to celebrate with others. And so I, ha- I personally have a plan of how I'm going to do that. There are three steps. First step, be close to the Father. Be righteous. Be righteous. Be faithful or come home. So if you, if you have grown up being faithful to the church, being faithful to the Lord, continue to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Be righteous. Make healthy choices for yourself, for your mind, your body, your family. That's okay. Continue to do that and be close to the Father. That's why he wants us to do that. He wants us to save us from the heartache. He wants to save us from those unnecessary pains in life. We need to be close to him. And if we aren't close to him, we've never been close to him, then come home. Jesus told this story to show us how God treats us, how, what he thinks of us. He is not, in the, in the Bible, Luke 15, the father says nothing to the younger son at all. He starts ordering the servants to have a party. He's so glad that the son's home. So don't we think that God treats us the same way? That's why Jesus told the story. That we would understand that we don't have to work our way back to Him when we've messed up. We don't have to guilt trip other people to come back to the Father. We just need to come home, literally come home, start walking. So it's exciting that we can be close to the Father. The second step is be close to others. This is the hardest thing ever in the world to do sometimes. And I love people, but it's hard. Be close to others. Don't isolate yourself if you don't agree. I'm saying it to myself too, not just you. Don't isolate yourself if you don't agree. Understand their why behind the judgment or behind their behavior. Understand their why behind the behavior. And it's hard. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to talk to them. You're going to have to get really close so that you can listen. And that's something that's hard for me to do. Because it's easier to just be like, that don't make sense. I'm going to be over here until you figure all that out. Do you think we're showing them Christ's love? I wasn't showing them Christ's love. I didn't bring any friends to Jesus in high school by doing this, all of high school. Yeah, Jesus loves everybody. Yeah, not them. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't gain any, any Jesus followers by doing that. I didn't model his love. I didn't model his compassion. So I need to come over here. Hey, guys, what's going on? And learn what makes them tick. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was hanging out with notorious sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, the Zacchaeuses of the world, the Marys of the world. He wasn't hanging out with the Pharisees unless they invited him over to their house. Be close enough to be invited to the party. In the Bible, throughout the New Testament, it talks about Jesus eating with people and being invited to people's houses. It's because he was close enough to spend time with them. If I'm isolating myself, nobody's inviting me to their house to meet their family. Nobody's inviting me to their school to meet their kids or their friends of their kids or their aunties, uncles, dog sitters, sister who needs saving, If I'm isolating myself, I'm not meeting anybody. So I need to be close to people because I like going to parties. And step three, enjoy the journey. They will know we're Christians or Christ followers by our love. Jesus said that. He did not say they'll know we're Christians or Christ followers by our righteousness. It's good to make good choices. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Make healthy choices for you and your family. Love God, love people. Love. He doesn't say righteousness people into knowing the Lord. He said love people. They'll, they'll know. They'll know what you're about. You don't have to say Jesus, 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 Jesus over and over until they get it. Just love them. They'll know when you spend time with them. They'll know when you show up to their son's baseball game when nobody else in the family goes to his baseball game. They'll know. They'll know what you say when you're talking about healthy things at work and not, you know, bad-mouthing your coworker, they'll know. Love, love. So enjoy the journey. Also, Chick-fil-A, when they're saying it's my pleasure, like, come on, that sets them apart because they're having a good time. It's my pleasure to serve you. Are we saying that as Christians? Are we saying that as Jesus followers? I know I wasn't. I was over here going, yeah, I'll help you. hmm you owe me. But over here, it's like, no, Jesus is like, come on, let's go, let's party, let's celebrate. I'm glad to be with you. So my New Year's resolution is celebrate with others, and those are my three steps. Be close to the Father, be close to others, and enjoy the journey. Because God, Jesus came, God sent Jesus, so that we could enjoy this life to the fullest. That's what we talk about here at Reachway. Everybody matters. We're all in. We're resilient. All of that adds up to living life to the fullest. Yes, we're excited for when we get to heaven to be with Jesus, but we should be excited for life right now. This is the life God's given us. And for me, the fear of missing out, that self-righteousness took a lot of time away from me celebrating with others in this life. And I could shame myself and I could be upset about that, but I'm not. I'm going to look at that, give it to God, and let Him redeem it. So, we're going to respond today by receiving communion. And as we do this, I want you to think about these three questions that are going to be on the screen How can I get closer to the Father this week? How can I celebrate with others this week? And how can I show that I'm enjoying the journey?